Hey everyone, welcome to episode 138 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. Now with a focus on the uh, Lotus Box, I don't, I don't think we totally settled. Patreon Championships? I don't think that's good. I don't no. think that's going to work forever. So. Okay, yeah. Something Lotus Box League... Something like that. Yeah, Lotus Box League. Okay. <laughs> once we once we get a, a leaderboard going on, that'll make a lot more sense. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is in the works. Yes. Yeah. So excited about that. Hopefully sooner rather than later, because mm-hmm. um, it's always a little more rewarding to play in the tournament where you know you can pick up some points even yeah. if you don't top eight the thing. We want to give players incentives to play, and I think that's one of the one of the more exciting ways to do so. Yeah. So we did our second ever Lotus Box tournament this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it was another... Right now, the standard seems to be that we're doing them for 1K in prize credit total. Yep. And this one was on Magic Online. This is a Pioneer one. Yep. And entry is free if you are a sub or if you're a Lotus Box patron or if you're a Grindcast patron. So pretty much trying to grow them as much as possible starting yep. now and and we'll see where it goes in the future with, you know, entry fees and cash tournaments and that sort of thing. But the you know, we were able to get some pretty good players out to this last one. Yeah, the, it, a, a it really did feel like an open. Most of our feature matches would have been feature matches at an open. Dom Harvey, Drake mm-hmm. Sasser, Egler, Magoyesh, um, you know, Zan and Lola's Box Crew, of course. Yep. Uh, Dylan Hand was there. Yeah, tons of people. It was yeah. Great. yeah, it was really cool. And we got some pretty good matches on camera each time. It was, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about this whole thing. Me too. We just secured a sponsor for the tournament series. Indeed. So Cardboard Live is going to be, this is going to be tournaments, you know, powered by Cardboard Live or whatever. And right. that's that's going to help us a little going forward. But we are still looking for further sponsorship opportunities. And um, yeah, if you have not played in any of these tournaments, definitely give it a shot. It's probably the best value tournament you can play in right now. <laughs> not close. If you're playing in a 1K and your entry is just a membership to the Lotus Box uh, Patreon or a subscription to either this Twitch channel we're streaming from right now, Team Lotus Box, mm-hmm. or you can be subscribed to Xan. About five bucks and you're entered into a 1K, uh, which has been around 100 people. You know, we had like 120 for the, the first one. Well, we and had, this one was... We had 70 for yeah, this one. Yeah, it was smaller because it was Magic Online and you just... Sorry aren't yep. going to get quite as many people playing in that. But, I mean, you know, that's good value. So, you should, yeah, definitely. You should, as a player, you, you want to be looking in the, for those smaller 1Ks. So. Right, and especially if we're doing one a week. like It's great. Yeah. Take uh, time. Definitely. And, and, and I think it, it seemed to be a lot of fun. Players mm-hmm. were pretty happy with how it went. Um, we are working on smoothing the whole thing from our end of it and making coverage as, as clean and fun to watch as possible. Yeah. So if you can't play, at least tune in. This was the first time that we got to do coverage together. Yes. Uh, it was a blast. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, so the, the team, you know, we got to kind of stay in-house for the team now because we're under quarantine. <laughs> so the team for this one was was you and me and Jeremy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, we certainly missed Wit and Lee and hopefully mm-hmm. we will be able to get them back in the future. But for now... You know, we can make this work. Yeah, commentating for the first time was definitely interesting. I learned a lot. Yeah? Yeah. I I definitely... It's much different. I thought it would be pretty similar to recording the podcast, Mm -hmm. but there were definitely elements of things that I had to learn kind of on the fly. You know, I had to figure out 
when it was appropriate to talk. <laughs> and I think that that's like why everybody typically has the dynamic of somebody's color, somebody's not. Yeah. Because I, I often felt like uh, we were like at times both like really want to be wanting to give our like thoughts on the on the what's going on mm-hmm. that moment. And that was interesting. Figuring out how to balance that was uh, was fun. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, you know, we'll get a little cleaner uh, with practice and stuff. But feedback yeah. was pretty positive. Yeah. And we're slowly improving each aspect of it, improving our graphics, uh, coming up with more visuals that we can put up. We want to make sure to be able to put up eventually things like player profiles and mm-hmm. make sure to make it clear what the bracket is looking like what the standings are that sort of thing yeah and and really turn this into kind of you know as professional of a, a pre- yeah. tournament presentation as we can yeah easy to digest as a viewer is our is our goal so yeah. we want to have all of the all of the bells and whistles yeah so um so as far as magic content goes yeah should we kind of talk about that tournament and pioneer in general just a little bit first and then we should move on a bit uh i know that you played some standard i know you played in the online magic fest this weekend yeah i can talk about that so we definitely want to talk about that and some standard and then since we've got a modern tournament this weekend which of course encourage everyone to play in or at least to watch yes um we should probably talk about modern some and and get us get ourselves up to speed before commentating the next tournament (laughs) indeed yeah i played a little bit of modern today just to make sure i was caught up uh so cool yeah yeah Let's see. We've got a spreadsheet here that our friend Jay put together. Yes. That breaks down the metagame archetypes and some like some of their general win percentages and then win per- win percentages in certain matchups. Um, you know, relatively small sample size. This was a 70-person tournament, so right. you can't take away any really truly hard information here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it can be kind of useful for looking at what people are deciding to bring to a tournament and that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that you can just very clearly take away from this is the metagame shares mm-hmm. of each of each deck. 70 players in our tournament and Inverter took up 21 of those slots. Yeah. That's a huge portion of what it looks like people are interested in playing right now. Yeah, it seems to be pretty much just the consensus deck to play. Yeah. Regardless of like your experience in Pioneer or your even your skill level with the deck, I think it's it's pretty much most people are like, yep, this is deck number one. This is the deck to be targeted. Yeah. And the other big takeaway from this event was that there were eight unique archetypes in our top eight. In our top eight, yeah. Which was pretty awesome. As far as, like, Inverter performing well, Mm -hmm. I think that was definitely a sign that Inverter did not perform as well as its share would indicate. Mm -hmm. Because if you're, you know, if you're making up, like, almost a third of the field and then you're only an eighth of the top eight, that would indicate that you didn't have a stellar performance, but it did walk away with the trophy. So. Right. <laughs> well, and I don't think that it's too out of line with our kind of understanding of what Demir Inverter is, which is a powerful deck with a lot of play to it, such that the better players do better with it. Yes. Um, yeah. Edgar won the tournament, <laughs> and Edgar yeah. was definitely one of the couple of, you know, one of the most technically proficient players that we've got around yep. and very good at playing that deck. Mm-hmm. If if we look at our matrix here with just sort of the, the archetype win percentages in general, uh, Demir Inverter only barely came in above the 50% mark, had about a 52% win rate within our tournament. Could be explained by a lot of different things. I mean, mm-hmm. because there are more Demir, twice as many Demir Inverter decks as the next most common deck, 
it is going to be closer to what the actual win percentage is because its sample size is larger. Yeah. But also, it may be tilting towards some specific... It, it, its win percentage may be impacted by the fact that not everybody is that good at playing this deck. Yeah. But I do think that the factor that you mentioned is a pretty large one where... Okay, so we have 20 players in the tournament that are playing Inverter. Mm-hmm. Some of them have to do poorly. Yeah. So it's it's definitely going to tr- trend towards the 50 mark, mm-hmm. just because the the sample there is much larger than anything else. Right, and, you know, this isn't a non-mirror win percentage that we have here, I don't mm-hmm. believe. Yeah. So the fact that mirrors exist are going to pull it a little bit towards 50 as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, for sure. The second most played deck, and, and one that we saw doing pretty well a lot, was Mono White Devotion, mm-hmm. nine copies in this tournament, and overall win percentage appears to be about 70%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mono White, I think, really performed well in this tournament. Only one snuck into top eight, but there were several sitting around the top of the standings at yeah. the end of it. Yeah. Um, strong deck, and we saw one particular innovation in the lists, which was moving away from overloading on Gideon's and Gideon's interventions and running a set of Karn the Great Creators in the deck. Hmm. Um, and this is, you know, a threat that we've seen work well with Nykthos in the past because it's kind of an X spell. You can adjust the amount of mana that you want to put into it based on what you, like, fetch out of your sideboard. Um, and hmm. it provides main deck hate against a lot of different strategies. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool innovation. Mm-hmm. It seemed really strong. We saw it a little bit in action, fetching things like Cataclysmic Gear Hulk. Yeah. That was really sweet to that see. That was very cool. I actually like missed that when we were looking over the list initially. I was kind of like perusing for, you know, colorless artifacts. And uh, I, I think I like skipped over it as with sure. the white white um pips. But then when we tuned into the game, there's a Cataclysmic Gear Hulk in play and a Karn, and I was like, this makes so much sense. This is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I because you just that effect is so powerful, but you yeah. can't get access to it any other way. You can't put it in your deck. Right. It's, it's it's really, really powerful, but also really, really narrow. Yeah. So um, having it as a bullet to find when you're in those spots is really cool, but you don't want to draw that card. <laughs> I, I believe that after that match, uh, the Sultai player who got Cataclysmic Gear Hooked came into our Twitch chat and, and said, I forgot that Cataclysmic Gear, Gear Hulk was a card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Even with open deck lists, like you just, like you miss that and right. then it happens to you and you get your board swept. Right. Yeah. We also saw the emergence of Gruel Aggro, which was the third most played deck in this tournament. Yeah. Shockingly. Yeah, definitely shockingly. I mean, you know, again, small sample size, the quick drop down from uh, 21 to 9 to 5 Gruel right. decks. But still, 5 is well five above. 5 of a deck that was not expectation. close to on my radar. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, these Gruel decks were really cool, and I was really excited to see. Um, we had two players, I think, go deep with the yeah. Gruel decks. One of them lost what potentially could have been a win and end, and then another one did make top 8. And that was... Oh, that it was, was um it was Kyle Norman. Yeah, it was Kyle Norman in top eight playing yeah. Gruel, and this is building on the like experiment one pelt collector yeah. one drop suite, and yeah. then just a lot of bodies. It's a thirty five creature deck with two Tommy two Domri raids and two Ember cleaves to mm-hmm. uh, just you know put a lot of power into play as quickly as possible and just overwhelm your opponent with bodies. Yeah, Burning Tree Emissary combos really well with. Um, Embercleave. 
Yeah. Just just bodies on the board. Yeah. That's like what this deck's all about. Definitely. And we even see like Voltaic Brawler in the list is just like a big old two drop then mm-hmm. hit like it's just a big <laughs> dumb beater. Yeah. I mean no if you energy. get your four power two drop, like you're typically not gonna have many more than two attacks with that card before mm-hmm. your your game is over. So right. it's it feels like a four power two drop. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty neat deck, hampered a reasonable amount by bad mana. Just, you know, you, you're running a bunch of Experiment 1s and Pell Collectors. You really want to make them on turn one. But then it's really awkward because, like, you have Stomping Grounds. And the second best duel is really Rootbound Crag. But that doesn't mm-hmm. do the thing you want it to do. So you yeah. have to run a couple of game trails. And, and the you're running mountains because you have to. But they don't <laughs> do it. Yeah. Um, two mana confluence feels pretty bad. It's not great. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you do what you gotta do. Yeah, and no no Carpluz and Forest. Like, Carpluz and Forest would be a huge inclusion for these oh, decks. Yeah. And right, but it's just no not access to that, fortunately. Although, honestly, not that not that different in this deck from City of Brass or <laughs> Mana Confluence, I mean. Yeah, I mean, very, very color-intensive. Yeah, definitely. For sure. A couple of copies of new cards in the deck. A mm-hmm. couple of Galia of the Endless Dance. A couple of Clothis, God of Destiny. Yeah, and Clothis is a card that has... I think is slowly catching on in people's minds to actually being a really strong card in a lot of formats. Yeah. Um, we've been seeing it sneak into modern Jund as well, which mm. is typically a sign that a card is powerful right, on right. its own. Because so, Jund can't deal with having right. bad yeah. on-rate cards in its deck. Yeah, so so Clothis I think is definitely one of those underrated uh, engines right now. Yeah, and it's particularly good if you're expecting opponents doing graveyard stuff. Yeah. Like, I've played against Uro decks with a Clothis in my deck, and mm-hmm. when you get it in play, it's very satisfying. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the Uro decks, the, the Urza decks, um, there's a surprising amount of things that people care about in their graveyard mm-hmm. right now. And it just it represents a reasonable level of inevitability. It's not powerful in all game states, though, certainly. No, no. It, it can be a little bit situational. Yeah, yeah. I, and we did see Dom do well with Golgari. We, we got about Golgari about scales Dom's run. Yeah, uh, Dom Dom played a a scales deck mm-hmm. and ha- had a dominant performance in the Swiss. Yeah, it was the last undefeated. I I'm pretty sure scooped the last round. Don't quote me on that. I'm just assuming that that would be what happens mm-hmm. if you're locked in that slot. But kind of had an unfortunate top eight. Was it in top eight? Yeah, top Dom eight. Fell? He played against Gruel and just. Right. You know, game one, he got out on a really fast start, made a couple of gigantic creatures, but mm-hmm. then couldn't deal the last points of damage because his creatures didn't have trample. He didn't yeah. draw any way to finish it out. Right. And then eventually uh, Kyle just went wide on the board and was able to just attack with a lot of creatures. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting. We kind of saw two upsets in the same mm-hmm. manner where I was pretty confident that Dom was favored against Kyle. Uh, Kyle ended up winning that one. Yep. And then in the semifinals, Kyle played against Mono Red. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that Dom's Scales deck was favored against this kind of smaller Gruul deck, I would assume that the Gruul deck would be favored against Mono Red. Yeah. But it just didn't play out that way. Right. I mean, it that was mostly like the Gruul deck not drawing particularly well, and yeah. then the Mono Red deck having Ember Cleave and just nothing that the Gruul yeah, deck Yeah, the do, Mono right? Red deck really did curve out well, and then the Gruul draws were kind of anemic and had a couple too many just two twos that got shocked. And yeah, and and I think we watched Gruul like have to mulligan a hand that would be fine, but the lands just didn't work at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know that's the cost. That's the cost. 
ultimately though not a ton of movement yeah. in pioneer yeah we're still at that spot where like inverter seems to be the best deck at least in the hands of the best players mm -hmm. um mono white is certainly quite good and and adapting in various ways to address demir but nothing too surprising popping up yeah you played how it so just how was playing the online magic fest this weekend we talked about playing like, in the qualifiers but just yeah what was the experience like it was the same mm -hmm. <laughs> i actually had one awkward scenario come up that I don't think was a product of the way that Channel Fireball was running it, but it was a product of just online tournaments in general. Okay. Where I was playing a match and I was up a game and then my opponent stopped responding just in the client and their time kept on ticking down and then their time hit zero and nothing happened. Mm. It just stayed at zero. That's... So I was like, oh no, like did I freeze? Am I disconnected? Like, am I disconnected? Yeah. And then I got a message from my opponent on Discord, like, like, hey, did, are you having any connection issues? I just got kicked out of mm -hmm. the thing. And so I was like, yeah, I'm not sure. So I, I restarted. And uh, when I got back into my arena, we weren't in our match anymore. And, and we were like, okay, what do we do? So I just, you know, I contacted one of the mods and said, you know, what do we do in this slot? Yeah. And they just said, all right, just, you know, play like join rejoin a match have your opponent concede and replay game two mm -hmm. but that felt bad yeah that's really not ideal because i was up a game and you were ahead in that really, game yeah I, I felt like i was gonna win this game like it wasn't deterministic by any means but but you were you were closer to winning than starting yeah. a fresh game right and i was just starting to turn the corner and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden this game like crashes mm -hmm. and um i don't have a ton of experience with arena so it was hard for me to tell, like, I just, like, didn't know if maybe my opponent just, like, shut their computer off and yeah. was like, like oops. <laughs> fiddle with their router or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it felt, like, kind of abusable how my opponent was just got a redo on mm -hmm. on the game. Right. Not, and, not that your opponent did do anything. Oh, of course. Yeah. But, like, like me it was very fine. And, um, and my opponent was very understanding about the whole thing as well. And, but there were a lot of things in place where, like, I didn't take a screenshot right before restarting. So I had no proof that I was up a game. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's, there's oh, just sure. felt like I was just kind of at the mercy of, you know, my opponent agreeing that I was up a game and all this other stuff that just felt a little... Gotcha. Um, like, and I don't know, maybe I'm just coming from this, like, really well-worked-out rock solid judge program that i'm used to playing in tournaments where sure. people are like really good at covering all the bases and i feel really safe in the games and stuff like that yeah but yeah i don't know i just felt like i like didn't have any yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a tournament experience that definitely requires some some adjustment too and then maybe some adjustment on the part mm -hmm. of organizers and we certainly need to figure that stuff out for for our tournament series and yeah I know that during one of the trials this past week, you know, Arena just went down. Yeah. <laughs> and so they just had to kind of say, okay, everybody who is still in it, you, you're you did in, it. You, you qualified. qualified. <laughs> Hilarious. So there's definitely just kinks to get worked out mm -hmm. through, like, because of the fact that these are online tournaments and that yeah. there are problems that simply don't exist in real life because the internet is not... It's not foolproof that you will get your game done. Yeah. 
so that was kind of like the the only big issue I had mm-hmm. playing in that one. But again, the experience of having to do everything through Discord, not nearly as good as a client like MTG Melee. Mm-hmm. Um, I think somebody, I don't remember which pro player tweeted this out, but they were talking about the experience of doing a tournament through Discord. Mm-hmm. And it was like, everybody needs to orally report what's going on and ask questions. And the only way they can do that is by going up to the judges stand and like using the PA to ask their question. <laughs> it really was like that. Yeah. Yeah. Where there were, there was like a separate channel for like help. Mm-hmm. There was like an M- M- MFO help channel okay as well as an mfo results channel Mm -hmm. so when you're going to report your result you do it in the results channel and when you need help you like ask it in the help channel but people didn't do that because there's also just the main chat and that's where all the questions were going everything happened yeah Yeah. and that was i think supposed to be mainly for like announcements and Mm -hmm. like saying when pairings are in the round or whatever but what ended up happening is like people started asking for help in those things and and I have to say that, like, the moderators did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. And I saw that they had a really good system where the moderators were all, like, in a in a live chat with each other. So they were communicating. Um, and they also had a system where they would, like, mark questions as soon as they popped up so that, mm. um, okay. like, one moderator would, would handle it or whatever. Sure. But, yeah, it was definitely felt weird. And the other weird thing that happened was that it became, like normal to like announce in that big group chat that you had a challenge to your opponent <laughs> and i don't know why exactly people started doing that but just like as soon as every round started you just got flooded with a bunch of messages that were like at my opponent sent you a challenge or whatever and oh. like it just seemed unnecessary <laughs> well i mean i do understand that to some extent because yep. arena does not tell you when you've been challenged uh, and so, like, yeah, that's that's definitely the reasoning right. behind that. And you know, there's there's decent logic behind Arena not telling you when you've been challenged, yeah, so that you can't can challenge you. Right, right. So mm-hmm. when you're playing against a streamer or something, their their chat can't take it on themselves to like go spam the opponent with challenges or something <laughs> like that. So yeah, you know that that all makes sense, but it does lead to a weird situation where when it's not your friend you're challenging, they don't necessarily mm-hmm. know that the challenge has been sent yet. Yeah, yeah. So. Definitely, I think that we do have a lot of things to learn in terms of like how to make these online tournaments go smoother, mm-hmm. but it feels like we're coming a long way, yeah. like very, very quickly, yeah. because we've only just really started to lean into this. So. Yeah, I mean, we got a void, like paper tournaments disappeared. Those don't exist. Yes. Until... You're not allowed to leave your home. So. Yeah, and, and you know, this is going to stick around for a little while at least, so yeah. the void had to get filled somehow, and... and had kind of had to get filled quickly because mm-hmm. people want to play tournaments and people yeah. want to watch coverage. So, yeah. uh, and, and the stuff just has not had time to get fleshed out yet. It mm-hmm. is really, so, you know, anybody running tournaments is, is, is figuring things out. Yeah. Um, definitely the discord thing is a little bit, the, one of the, the big questions I have is how that's going to scale in the future. Cause like, you know, these, qualifiers had a reasonable number of people in them the online magic fest was how many people were in that tournament like 300 and i think 376 was yeah so you know what happens then when they're running a tournament with twice as many people and or something like that like i wonder if if 
I mean, maybe people will have sort of figured out ways to smooth smooth the whole thing out so that it is less chaotic. But um, right, right, yeah. Um, and I think that Channel Fireball has definitely been upfront with like saying, you know, we're still working on our process. Mm-hmm. Bear with us, whatever. But I, from what I understand, this week everything is just the same as last week. Sure. So, who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, probably they're working on developing some not discord way of like getting pairings and stuff like that like probably a browser i really hope so yeah yeah um yeah they should just go to mtg melee (laughs) (laughs) but we'll see yeah i mean melee does have melee is also a new product Mm -hmm. and it does you know our experience with it is basically that it works really well from the player side yeah um from a tournament organizer side there are some bugs that need to get addressed so that's fair um, as a tournament platform for, like, a very large tournament, you know. I could see them wanting to take things into their own hands a yeah. little bit there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about the standard gameplay? Did you play the Teamer Flash? I did. Slash uh, Wilderness Reclamation deck again? I Yep. Uh, I played it again, and uh, so going into the tournament, I was starting to get a little nervous about my Bant matchup. Mm-hmm. Teferi continued to prove itself to be a really big problem. Yeah. And when I was laddering, I kept on running into Bant and losing to a savvy player who knew that they needed to really pick their spot and fight over resolving a Teferi. And mm-hmm. then once they did that, then their deck could just kind of crush mine. Mm-hmm. Right. When you can't counter their Nissas, yeah. <laughs> you die to Nissa. Yeah. Uh, Nissa becomes a problem when it resolves yes. and sticks around. <laughs> so I was really worried about that. So I kept on like tweaking my deck a little bit more and more to try to uh, fix that matchup. Uh-huh. And I do think I got it there. The The final nail in the coffin for Bant was the Ravel Master card. Legion Warboss. Legion Warboss mm-hmm. was the solution to Teferi. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if they jam Teferi and you don't have an answer, you just play Warboss, you have two bodies, mm-hmm. you can pressure it. If they play Teferi and you flash something in that they can bounce, you can just finish it off with a war boss. Sure. So really good play patterns there. Uh, really happy with Legion War Boss in that matchup. And that's not that far off of where the Teamer Reclamation decks moved to respond to Blue White Control generally. Yeah. You know, one of the things they had in their sideboard was flash creatures, but that was not enough to beat the card Teferi Time Raveler because yeah. if Teferi resolved, you're never killing it with yeah, Nightpack Ambusher. That's whatever you played in response. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so we saw lists with a lot, you know, we saw the absolute, like, kind of the first time it became a presence in standard despite having a little hype beforehand of Robber of the Rich just becoming a card. Yeah. In order just to a haste bunch down of Teferi. those in the sideboard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely took took that concept and, uh, and it worked really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue was that... Uh, in doing so, I moved away from my my deck's ability to really compete with these red decks. Okay. So uh, you, have, you have to take some removal out of the sideboard. Well, or? the cards that I ended up cutting were actually the shield breakers. Okay. That was a mistake in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Is that I should have kept in, I should have either kept in the shield breaker, which would be an answer to oven, which is the biggest problem out of the Ractus decks. Yeah. Or I should have had some access to uh spyglass which is i think a better answer to oven even um but i i kind of overlooked the fact that rakdos was really the breakout deck for this tournament Mm. um i think that the rakdos players figured out their fires matchup 
and Fires kind of was performing worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And Fires was the deck that had really pushed Rakdos out of the format for the most part. Because that matchup historically was really bad for Rakdos. It's tough, yeah. But I think the addition of Clothis and figuring out that you could play like this like aggressive like but more mid-rangey version of this aggressive deck mm. where you just have this inevitability of finishing your opponent off with with all of the pings and stuff you can really just like out grind and stay alive through a bunch of the things that fires can do okay so i think that they they did a lot to change their deck to be able to beat fires and once that happened that deck just in general is really really well positioned against all of the other decks in the format what i saw leading into the tournament was a lot of buzz around these rakdos decks mm -hmm. like i saw people talking more and more about like i'm gonna be playing rakdos or like wow i've been crushing with rakdos uh and i didn't like take that into account as much as i really should have I because see. i think that that like noise on twitter is your best bet for for figuring out like what people are interested in and what the meta shares are going to look like. Yeah, so, and that's it's hard to like pull the actual information out of the noise there, but but yeah, I mean, but that is something that I am tuned into and definitely was thinking about going into the tournament, but it just like didn't click enough for me to say, "Wow, I really need to make sure that I'm prepared for Rakdos with my Flash deck because Rakdos is one of the more difficult matchups for Flash." Mhm. Mm I'm just scrolling through. So, you know, you were mentioning, like, the Magic Fest online results and stuff and, like, mm -hmm. what was the breakout deck. And I am not totally sure I know where to find that information anymore. It was more just what kept on popping up on my Twitter feed. Yeah. My personal Twitter feed. Yeah. Because um, my Twitter feed is, is pretty tapped into just, like, what people are talking about in, like, in Magic. So... Yeah, and I totally, I, I, I get that, and I, like, understand that knowledge source is very yeah, important. Yeah. But I, you know, like, I, I realize that I don't even know the, the top eight lists from this uh, online Magic Fest. So I'm yeah. scrolling through. Okay, so here here we've got them. Like, all the information really is just on Twitter, too. Like, yeah. the, the, the results are on Channel Fireball's Twitter, and we don't quite have the mm -hmm. infrastructure in place. They don't get posted to Goldfish right. and consolidated or anything like that. They're just like photos, that. which yeah. is not something that you can pull from. You're right. Yeah, so so I did notice that there were a lot of these Rakdos lists floating around in these uh, these 6-0 lists from the, like, the during-the-week qualifier tournaments. Mm -hmm. And people were just talking about it, and a couple of big names were like, Wow, I've been doing really well with Rakdos right now. I think it's really good. I'm excited to play in this tournament. Yeah. And yeah, and I just like didn't connect that with like, oh, I I'm making my deck worse against Rakdos in order to make my Bant matchup better. Mm -hmm. But that's like not where I should be sacrificing my equity. Gotcha. Yeah. So. The the Rakdos matchup is too valuable to yeah. lose those important slots. So I started off well on day one mm -hmm. of this tournament. Uh, I was 3-0 at one point. And I like beat Bant twice, and I played against like some Flash Mirror mm -hmm. that I beat. Um, and then I ran against like a couple of Rakdos in a row, and like I won one of the matches that was really tight. But then I, you know, I lost the other two, and then I lost a third match. Yeah, I think to Rakdos as well. I think I might have just played like four Rakdos decks back mm -hmm. to back to back. Yeah, um, and it really hurts not having those shield breakers. Yeah, you just you just have to be able to answer the oven. Like, if you can answer the oven, then there's not really a lot that they can do against you. Mm -hmm. So I think that, like, Spyglass is a card that people playing in Standard should really be thinking about right now. Yeah. I think that card is really good because 
you can bring in in almost every matchup. Like there's planeswalkers that you want to hit. Like I would love to name Nissa, and then I would also. It's just so crucial to be able to turn off a, uh, an oven. It does only solve half the problem against Nissa, but true. But it's it doesn't. Important... It doesn't solve the untap with this and hydro crisis you problem. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, um, but yeah, I, I I do think that generally in standard, like Spyglass just kind of is historically underplayed like usually there should be like an extra copy in a lot of sideboards like more than people are playing yeah it it just is very powerful very versatile i'm looking at this this top eight list from the the magic fest here which is just Mm -hmm. like as (laughs) which is a deck that is acknowledging that nobody should be playing mono red in this format and it just does not bother with that matchup at all yeah and it is like Esper Planeswalkers splashing nickel, splashing four nickel bolus off of uh, Interplanar Beacon. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Just really trying to grind. We're yeah. out here to grind. Just casting Planeswalkers all game long. Casting Planeswalkers, casting Atris, Oracle of Half-Truths. Like the only early plays in the deck are six hand disruption spells and thought erasure and agonizing remorse the only way to interact with early creatures are three oath of kaya and two cry of the carnarium like you just can't beat creatures nope but if they're trying to outvalue you you know that's not gonna happen you got the planeswalkers i got nicol bolas yeah you got nicol bolas you got elspeth conquers death to bring nicol bolas back yeah this Um, is definitely a wild one that that like really picks its spot and it's like you're not going to out mid-range me i'm yeah. gonna get you yeah um yeah i actually haven't had a chance to really look through all of the uh the archetypes so... yeah it looks like we've got rakdos a uh, couple of bant that uh esper plus red here's a regular old world team of reclamation deck sultai uh, this is straight blue green this is a risen reef deck and BTS then one Sally, one recto sacrifice. Yeah, I mean this is like yeah. Oh, this, this is just just rack. agent of treachery, risen reef. Yeah, this, this is, is not the rack. adventure deck. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, lots still just like lots of blue green decks yeah. generally in this yeah. top eight, and then uh, a smattering. You know, two recto sacrifice decks did make the top eight of the tournament, so yeah. they 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 remained well positioned throughout this tournament. It seems. Yeah, I think that one card that I should have just known to have in my main deck, but did not, was Aethergust. Mm-hmm. There, not a single deck in the top eight of this tournament could not be hit with an Aethergust. Right, and, one, and so. for for like decent value the only way even the esper deck just has four nickel bolus <laughs> yeah that's so. a red card yeah 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 so yeah definitely feels like a kind of a narrow meta game in some ways but a lot of viable archetypes yeah i mean kind of a narrow meta game in that it is defined heavily by like the existence of growth spiral like mm. growth spiral decks are just the core of the meta game yeah yeah and could be argued that that's one of the better cards that you can play right now i it may be just like actually the best card in standard yeah 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 i can get behind that i think uh you know i saw like brian gottlieb talking about this on twitter and how he like finally put his finger on why he doesn't like standard and uh even though it is like reasonably reasonably diverse there's a lot of different cards that you can play but almost every deck in the format is based around like getting to a turn where you get to cheat on mana in some gigantic way <laughs> yeah um whether it's untapping with nissa getting wilderness reclamation getting fires right uh even like racto sacrifice 
Priests of the Forgotten Gods and also just the massive amounts of value you get from ovening over and over again with different permanents in play mm -hmm. kind of like gets free stuff that you normally would have to pay value, pay, pay mana for. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, I am a firm believer in mana being the most crucial element of magic. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we talk about it so much in every game and every format where like, oh, I didn't draw the right number of lands, so I lost, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I think that's indicative of the fact that if you can do things to get ahead on mana or or cheat on mana in some way, that's kind of the most powerful thing you can do in Magic. Yep, and it's definitely the most powerful thing you can be doing in Standard. Yep. Just, it, it's clear that you got to be casting Growth Spiral or you got to be having some really huge turns or ideally both. And that's that's standard right now. Yep. But yeah, so we have a modern tournament coming up this weekend. True. Um, neither of us will be playing in it, but yep. we do have to do some prep for it because we can't can't head into we this have without to know any... what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> got to know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So I looked through a bunch of results. Okay. You played some modern. I did. And uh, there only seems to be one thing that you can like. There's only one tentpole of the format. Okay. Which seems to be the snow control decks. Sure. That's the only archetype that seems to be heavily represented in every tournament. And then it's a bunch of like two ofs and stuff. Yeah. But there's a lot of uh, Ice Fang Coatl decks in every tournament. Yeah. Finish. A lot of Ice Fang Coatl decks and a lot of... It's kind of hard to differentiate sometimes between these er Eroza decks, I think is what we've been calling them, mm -hmm. which is the like the Uro Urza deck. And then there's Bant Snowblade, which is well, Okay, so okay. it keeps getting called Bant Snowblade. It, yeah. We, I shouldn't I shouldn't call it Snowblade. But we called them out on this like three weeks ago, and yeah. this is still labeled as Bant Snowblade on Goldfish. But then if you There's no Stoneforge Mystic in right. this deck. If you yeah. so so we're looking at the the PTQ, the modern PTQ from mm -hmm. March 29th. And if you go to the Magic Online results and you look at the top 32 and control F Stoneforge, you get zero results. So these seven yeah. Bant Snowblade decks, none yeah. of them are actually Bant Snowblade. They're just like, so if you click on Batutinaz or yeah, whoever's, it's just it's, a... Uh, it's blue-white control with Uro and Ice Fang Coatl. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Astrolabe. Right. It's just a, an, a, an Uro deck. That is playing control cards as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Chase the Mind Sculptors, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, Teferi, Time Raveler. Yep. So definitely has a blue eye control feel. And then you're playing Quaddles and Uros as your only green cards. A lot of the same philosophy as like Abe's deck that he played at Regionals. Yeah. You know, his was different. He had read it and played Ren and Six, but really just value cards, acknowledging that Path to Exile is the best removal spell, yeah. and that you want to be playing Astrolabe, that you don't need to be running Urza necessarily, you can just use Uro as your value engine and Planeswalkers as well. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, these decks are very dominant right now. Yep. Um, and when I say these decks, I'm talking about just all of the Uro strategies. Yeah. I know Dylan has been a huge champion of the Arosa builds. Mm -hmm. He still loves Emery and Urza and Gilded Goose, uh, like that whole package. Yeah. Which it's hard to argue with. I mean yep. powerful very, cards. Very strong package. For sure. I don't think that he's messing around with any other colors. Mm -hmm. I think he might just be blue green at this point. So is he running Coatles then? 
because you can't there's not really any removal then that you can play if you're not splashing anything i i haven't seen his latest okay list. i'm not a hundred percent sure okay i all i know is that he's just on the eroa or erosa archetype yeah and it well it seems like galvanic blast is pretty common in these yeah but i didn't see one in this latest list so but yeah so just a lot of arrows around mm-hmm. and then outside of that you, you, we do have like a lot of diversity and what else we people are running into dredge has had a resurgence um i'm not entirely sure what's triggered that well I, it can't be that bad against the uro decks right like especially yeah. game one you're just mm-hmm. playing against blue white control with a like an extra value life game yeah. engine in it the cryptic lock is difficult for sure. this deck because historically you were able to beat that as dredge just through being able to burn them out. Mm-hmm. So you would threaten a combat step, they would have to tap you out, and then you would conflagrate them for a lot, or you would just like resolve something that dug through your deck and chilled them out or something like that. Yeah. And I guess Uro kind but, of yeah, Uro blocks that plan. Just kind of puts you out of range mm-hmm. for that. Um but I really do think that Oxvagonus added a lot to this archetype. Yeah. You, you the explosiveness that it allows on turn four makes your deck extremely consistent and as long as you're doing enough stuff in the first three turns of the game sure turn four typically means lights out for your opponent yeah Um, yeah that makes sense um i i yeah ox is extremely powerful and we even saw it in our pioneer tournament Mm -hmm. uh drake sasser yeah brought blue red phoenix uh, a deck that has not been alive or playable in in pioneer for quite a while yeah but went to that went with the three three split of treasure cruise and uh ox of agonis mm-hmm. in order to enable running a lot like eight self mill effects yeah and then reload with those cards but yeah generally just like ox is an extremely powerful card and particularly powerful in dredge and just definitely can set up you know if you're going off and on turn four you are oxing and you dredge and you hit an extra creeping chill and you set up for whatever and and you put power on the board like that's pretty early in the game they haven't had a chance to gain life multiple times with uro yet or anything Mm -hmm. so you can you can put on a lot of pressure pretty quickly potentially yeah Yeah. um yeah so you know definitely people are are continuing to play dredge tron (laughs) is around still uh both green tron and eldrazi tron yep and uh i think that the the current Flavor of the week, though, is actually Red Green Beats. <laughs> well, it won the PTQ. It did win the PTQ. Which, is, this is just the yeah. deck from a couple of weeks ago, but without Once Upon a Time in it. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Clothis is really showing how it is a player right now in, mm-hmm. in Modern. This deck is, yeah, it's just like the just the red green beatdown cards. Yep. All these cards are really, really powerful, do a lot of stuff. So it was interesting to see how this did really well in this tournament. It also, yeah, qualified somebody for for the PT. Yeah, three, and it it has gone back to actually running some main deck land destruction, three pillage in the main yep. deck here. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you gotta gotta throw something in there now that we don't have once upon a time. I <laughs> guess it's pillage. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm wondering, uh, now you do have the option, which you didn't really before, you get to choose whether you want to play Magus of the Moon or Blood Moon. Yeah. Uh, before you really couldn't because you wanted to be able to grab it with once upon a time. Now that, you know, 
that's off the table. So you can just figure out what people are more likely to be able to kill, especially post-board. Yeah. If it's an enchantment, then, then keep your 2-2. Mm -hmm. If there's a lot more creature removal, then, you know, you can you can play Blood Moon itself. Yep. And, you know, just fundamentally is a beatdown deck. Yep. Um, yeah, so a 2-2 is better than not yeah. a 2-2. But yeah, so, you know, I've been seeing a couple of people doing well with red-green. I don't, like, I'm not, I don't want to call it Ponza, because it's, I guess it's running Pillage again. Yeah, so. if you've got, like, four moons and three Pillages, you're, like, getting pretty close to being Ponza again. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, so I saw Yama Killer was streaming with it and mm -hmm. had a deep run in, in the PTQ and stuff like that, so. Yeah. But the deck that I have been loving still mm -hmm. is prowess mm -hmm. and i mean i can't say non-biased opinion but i really do believe that right now in the metagame prowess is really well positioned okay how does it feel against the uro decks generally amazing okay yeah uh so i played prowess back when urza existed with oko mm -hmm. and that matchup i was like fine with yeah i was like i'm down let's grind through some okos mm -hmm. you know and now they're playing some Rose, whatever. <laughs> I would beat him anyways. Yeah, this deck just does fundamentally really, really powerful things. All of your spells are super cheap. You have a card that cheats a lot on mana. Um, well, this player didn't choose to play it, but yeah, I mean, you get to <laughs> decide whether or not to play. Strongly recommend playing Steamkin. Steam um, yeah, you can play Kill and Fiend if you really want. Mm -hmm. And from a, a player who's played against both. It kind of doesn't matter that much. They're both extremely threatening. If you let your yeah. opponent untap with it and you can't kill it, like, it's probably going to kill you regardless of which one it is. Yeah, no, you're I, right. You can do, like, crazier things that make you feel way smarter with your Steamkin, but the Kiln Fiend might just still attack 4 or 14 that turn oh, or whatever. Sure. So. Yeah, I mean, both have the potential to kill you. But I, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in the Steamkin. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the more I just, like, think about this deck, the more I'm... And, like, start really thinking about how these cards read most of the time. We're just playing... It feels like we're playing Blue-Red Delver mm -hmm. with Treasure Cruise. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, that, like, Legacy deck is what it feels like we're playing. We have cheap interactive spells. We have a uh, one-mana draw two in Light of the Stage. We have a two-mana draw three mm -hmm. in Bedlam Reveler. You know, we have a card that does this crazy thing and lets you storm off if you want or you have a card that you know gets really big mm -hmm. so i just think that this deck is just really doing a lot of extremely powerful things right now in the format yeah um you're an aggressive deck that can play that aggressive role in the deck in the matchups where you need to do that and you can also just outgrind. like i outgrind jund i outgrind these urza decks mm -hmm. it just feels great cool so i really like its positioning in the format you could play blood moon yeah it's a good card yeah <laughs> it's not that great right now in the format i mean there's um, a decent amount of astrolabe decks so just like just yeah. like wasteland has taken a huge hit in legacy mm. blood yep. moon has taken a pretty big hit in modern but there's certainly decks that it's good against you know yep. there's still titan decks a surprisingly low amount of amulet given you know I, I don't think either of us felt that the once upon a time would particularly damage its place in the medicaid right but people just stopped playing it yeah the, there's only a couple of copies in, in any particular, like, top 32. Mm -hmm. And I, I think part of that might actually be because of the hate for the Urza decks, or for the Uro decks. Because a big part of that hate is, like, I'm playing Jun, I'll put all these boils in my sideboard. 
And those are, like, very effective if your opponent puts a Dryad into play. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Jund is another deck we should definitely talk about. Mm -hmm. Because I think that the Jund decks that are really, really geared to beat up on these blue decks do pretty well. Because their matchup against the rest of the field seems strong. Um, Not great against Dredge, but, you know, I'm sure you can have tools for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Kroxa is... Or not Kroxa, sorry. Clothis is an addition that I've seen in a lot of these Jund decks that I've been pretty impressed with. Okay. Yeah, it does have that, you know, similar to the the green-red Ponza deck, like the Bloodbraid Elf into Clothis turn mm-hmm. is like, it's quite nice. Yeah. You, you put a lot on the board and the Bloodbraid Elf contributes very meaningfully towards making your Clothis, making your Devotion high enough, making your Devotion high enough that Clothis mm-hmm. can attack and block. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely get there. Bloodbraid Elf and Ren Six and something else should should get you pretty much all the way there. Yeah, so. I mean, powerful magic cards. Mm-hmm. Um, Boulder Elf is asking in chat if you board in Blood Moon against Jund. I assume he's asking about when you're playing Prowess. Oh, with Prowess? Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely something that you can... If you can get a read that your opponent is not going to play around it... Mm-hmm then and they're just going to be like you know playing out their their chocks you can sometimes get them in like a game three or maybe like game two you'll play it and then if they see it you'll take it out for the last game it's not great it's not really an angle that i'm like looking to play and they're kind of incentivized to fetch basics against the the red aggro deck yeah yeah exactly so i would i would definitely recommend having it in your range but not not uh, defaulting to it not yeah. defaulting to it yeah because you just don't really need it like i've been able to outgrind jund right pretty easily yeah with th- prowess they have two for ones but they don't have draw three put a body into play <laughs> yeah yeah i was playing you know so just earlier i was playing a match against jund and i just like they played out like two creatures that i had to two for one myself on it's just like double bolted a tarmogoyf and like um lava darted and flashed back on a grim flare and mm-hmm. and then we were both just kind of sitting there at 10 life apiece and they were doing jun things and they like hit me with a raging ravine and i was like oh this is kind of scary and then i drew battle marveler and the game ended <laughs> yep. yeah well, yeah well and and so like boulder off points off mm-hmm. points out i felt like they inquisition or thought sees you then leave you with blood moon and then they fetch basics like they do have potentially yeah. a lot of information and they can have exert a lot of control over your hand yeah so you do want your cards to individually be pretty good oh yeah for sure um so i right i, I would definitely not recommend it's it's like so doing that like weird sideboarding that your opponent doesn't expect mm-hmm. is something that's kind of like a little more next level and something that you kind of need to read on your opponent to be able to pull the trigger on sure and not not it's like not a level one play in any sense but it is something that is a little underexplored so you want to have in your range because uh, there are definitely a lot of games that i've lost where i'm like my opponent just shouldn't have that in their deck but but it got me here. But it really got me. Yeah. And if you can like find spots to potentially set yourself up for that, it can be good sometimes. Yeah. But it's not like you know. I would say that Blood Moon is it can be a liability more often than not in, in okay. a Jund matchup. Sure. Yeah. So one deck that I am not. I mean, I was not excited to play it just because Once Upon a Time was banned. Okay. But boy, like with all of these just Planeswalker based decks and stuff, I just 
I'm going to hang up my Heliod hat yeah. for pretty much forever at this point. Like, Infinite Life just does not do it in this format. No. So Yeah. No, not at all. So, sad. <laughs> Goodbye, Druid decks. I know. The, the most fun Heliod decks. The most fun part was just, like, being completely unable to lose to Dredge. Mm-hmm. Like, your game one against Dredge was unlosable. And, yeah. like, very few decks are in that, that, like, can turn the tables that way. And so it would be nice because if Dredge is decent right now to play a deck like that, but boy, it's just not well positioned against anything else going on right now. So, yeah. Um, but we do kind of see a healthy representation, just a smattering of, like, every modern deck of yore in this. <laughs> we got some Etron. We got some Gift Storm. Yeah, we got, we got some, some humans. humans. We got some Naya Zoo. Naya Bushwhacker Zoo. <laughs> like, that still technically exists. Wild Nakadal in 2020 one of the decks that i've seen not that long ago that i was really excited about was tribal zoo Mm -hmm. somebody played in our regionals and top eight of the tribal zoo (laughs) and and that was just a delight so well i'm sure uh elliot darrow would be happy oh yeah to to have you play tribal zoo at some (laughs) tournament Uh, i do like in this uh bushwhacker list the fact that uh galia the endless dance gets in there like mm-hmm. that's that's certainly a very powerful card on a bush oh yeah for sure is, are there any other satyrs in this deck that mm-hmm. i'm forgetting about i don't think so right no, there's there's no like actual modern play when i first read galia i ha- i like had to look up burning tree emissary again just <laughs> to make sure that they weren't satyrs because that would have just been yes, the end of it wild <laughs> Yeah. Right, to give, yeah. yeah, if you could go Burning Tree Emissary, Burning Tree Emissary, Galia, give them plus one, plus one, and haste and attack yeah. with them all, yeah, right. that, that, then this would be a deck I'd be interested in. I mean, in. you can do that with the Reckless Bushwhacker. Like, that is a line. Right, but Galia then just gives you cards back and, like, right. like yeah, yeah, you can do that, but mm-hmm. having the extra Bushwhackers that are also, like, cards that reload you, like, that would really push this over the top as, yeah. as something I'd want to try, at least. Right. So, yeah, you kind of... These mid-rangey Uro decks are definitely the most dominant, the most present force in the metagame. Yeah. But there are aggro decks you can play. There are big over-the-top decks that you can play in things like Tron um, or or Eldrazi Tron. Combo is like pretty massively underrepresented mm-hmm. in the in just all of the tournaments that I've been looking at. I don't yeah. think that there's a real combo deck at this point. Combo's having a rough time. Um like and i think there was even like a really good combo deck in uh this underworld breach deck Mm -hmm. that people you know we tried really hard to make work it's just not quite there it's not quite there and i just think that the metagame is really hostile to stuff like that having to fight through like a a lot of counter spells out of bant and Mm -hmm. like really fast aggressive decks like you know burn and mono red and all this other stuff like prowess just doesn't have a ton of matchups that it gets to prey on a breach doesn't have a ton of matchups that it gets sorry yeah, yeah. Com- well combo decks combo in general, general. Is okay. what I'm trying to say. yeah yeah um yeah so it yeah it feels like all of those because like we saw like one gift storm on this list uh that you know did decently in this tournament but mm-hmm. outside of that you know there's just combo's just really not doing it yeah Lee has been, you know, commiserating with me about just like can't really do any any combos. We gotta yeah, play they these like my artifacts and the combo's not good. Like, come on. We gotta we gotta, gotta play throw... all these super grindy games of modern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta throw Lee a bone in some way. Th- this is definitely like the grindiest modern mm-hmm. 
has been yeah and i mean like when we were all playing urza mid-range decks like that was pretty grindy too but right. like you know there's definitely a lot of just trying to outvalue outvalue your opponent going on in this format right now yeah. which is kind of weird for modern yeah definitely um i think infect could potentially be good it like some of the matchups are strong but i, I would not want to be on the infect side of playing against these band decks yeah they have well, they have to fairy in them. Yeah, <laughs> to fairy is just a huge issue. You and... just kind of can't beat it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So to fairy is definitely one of those cards that really invalidates a lot of like styles of playing Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really unfortunate, and that's actually something that I found in Legacy as well. Is that like that style of playing Magic is really normally pronounced in the legacy format where like you want to have like these big stacks of like counter spells and all this stuff where sneak and show is like something where you want to cast your spell and then have like several backup counter spells to that or whatever but if somebody just resolves it to fairy yeah you just it doesn't matter like none of your hand matters anymore you, yeah um speaking of combo being bad like combo right now in legacy if your opponent plays a fairy or a what's the single white um enchantment deafening silence. deafening silence yeah yeah people are playing deafening silence right now out of these like mid-rangey blue decks right and that just ends so you can't, the combo deck you just can't do multiple things and you can't protect right. anything you play your sneak attack they force a bullet mm-hmm. that's, that's the it. end of the turn <laughs> go <laughs> and then you, you're also drawing a bunch of counter spells yeah so they are just like all right i'll 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 force that one because it matters. And then you're like drawing like more counter spells. And then you draw right. another secret show. It's like, and, you, and you're forced into like, okay, the only way for me to use this counter spell is to like counter your Delver of secrets or whatever. Or, and it, it's just like, you're not getting, you're like countering their threats is not doing it as the combo deck. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, also, one of the things that this uh, Uro deck has against Infect is that Ice Fang Quaddle is a removal spell that does not target your opponent's creatures. I'll block. <laughs> I, I hope you draw Blighted Agents. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how like big you're gonna pump it. Yep, I got Death Touch. Yeah, no, the the stuff in Infect does not give Trample for the most part. It right. is you know you need Distortion Strike or you need no Berserks here. Blighted Agent. Yeah, no no Berserks in in modern Infect. Yeah, sad. Yeah, so definitely. I mean, we are seeing a lot of like relics of old in this Pioneer deck. Or in sorry, in this in this modern list, but mm-hmm. there are decks like Infect that I think are just not really able to like Infect and combo. Yeah, the, like a lot of these new cards are invalidating to sure. to a big extent. What is the best way to beat a grindy deck like Eroza? I know you're probably gonna say play an aggressive deck that can grind just as hard. So. Well, I mean, yeah, red is well positioned there, but like your other options I think are like potentially dredge or and a Tron. Tron deck of some sort. I yeah. think Tron does uh really well in that matchup. Eldrazi Tron, I think a little bit better positioned against the the artifact ba- the Eroza decks mm-hmm. and then regular Tron probably a little better positioned against the the control deck, the snow version yeah. that that is basically blue white control with Urza, with Uro in it. Yeah. And I know that people just aren't playing it, but I do think that Amulet Titan it's, is well positioned at the moment. Just hard for me to to believe that that deck is not still extremely powerful. Yeah. Um I think it is. I just for some reason think that there aren't 
a high number of people out there who can put the kind of work into Amulet that really pushes the archetype. Yeah. I think we really need minds like Edgar or Daryl Ayers or uh, Dom to just be like working on these Amulet decks and making sure to figure out the best yeah. version. What if the reason that the Amulet decks are not doing well is because Dilks isn't like posting her results every other weekend and like giving the updated right. Amulet deck to that, people to play? Honestly, that could be it. Yeah. It's that we need Dilks back on it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't he have decides a, what's stock. Yeah, we so don't he... have a stock Amulet list anymore. <laughs> right. I, I think that like if those players decided to be like, you know what? I, this week got nothing better to do. Might as well just I'll, I'll run, figure out amulet I'll run eight again. leagues and I'll figure yeah. out how to do this. Yeah. If that happened, I think that we would definitely be seeing a lot more amulet titan. But I, I just don't think that's happening right now for whatever reason. I don't know. It is a tough deck to tune, mm-hmm. and you know we were was helping uh, our friend Philip get ready for regionals and jamming games against him with amulet, and like we had a list that we had grabbed from somewhere. And the board plan that we could come up with with the sideboard, like, just was didn't really feel, like, that great. And I was like, geez, this matchup actually feels kind of bad. And then you were like, let me just go see what Edgar is doing. And then you yeah. just, like, got Edgar's list and sideboard plan. And, and then we played sideboard games like that. And we were like, oh, okay, this is, <laughs> this is what's supposed ah. to be happening here. <laughs> this is what's up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely pretty high skill cap for that one. Yeah. Right, right. Not just in playing it, but also in choosing each of the cards that you want to have access to. Yeah, building... uh, Right, and I think that's the thing is that, like, building that deck is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And now people don't have, like, the lists that are out there that Dilks has worked on for forever. So you can kind of get a little lost. Right, and and, I mean, you are starting over a little bit because losing Once Upon a Time does change a lot of the fundaments of the deck. Yeah, Yeah, well, you just have to take a different angle on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Yep, definitely. We did take some questions from chat, but they were kind of related to our discussion that we were having already. So why don't we take a look, see if we can find a Patreon question to check out. Um, All right. So for our Patreon question this week, our friend Tucker asks, what are y'all favorite? What are y'all's favorite magic cards that many people may not know and why? So what what are you what are you thinking for this one, Collins? Well, so I definitely became famous for humans. Mm hmm. And people definitely associated that deck strongly with me, and uh, and that's where I got a lot of my. That's where people like knew me from initially. Mm-hmm. But you might not know if you were part of that wave that before that I actually was one of the first persons, first people, championing uh, Hour of Promise. Mm-hmm. That was like the card that I initially was having some success with that I really loved. Um, I played it in Green White Ramp in standard Mm -hmm. uh had a lot of success there and then i played i kind of popularized this mono green version of escape shift Mm -hmm. that ended up playing a bunch of hour promises yeah and i think that that deck was really really good in its era of modern i don't think i I mean i guess it depends on how you interpret this question because that definitely could be like a favorite card that people wouldn't really know is your favorite but I'm not sure if it's a card that people like don't know that it exists. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. I was I was assuming that it was like I mean, what... I'm I'm not exactly sure what Tucker meant here, so you might be okay. closer to closer to the mark. What's your a... what's your favorite card that people may not know about? Well, so because I have a much like older 
history of magic i can like dig deep into the well and and pull out some cards that like honestly a lot of people might just not know exist mm-hmm. um and so one card for me is uh Laquatus's champion yeah from Torment. this is three and three black for a six three that you can regenerate for a black and it has so the nightmares from that set were all cards that sort of like stole a thing when they came in but gave it back when they died so like faceless butcher okay. you know comes in exiles one of their creatures if it dies they get it back okay uh Liquidus's champion egg like stole some of their life when it came in it comes into play and they lose six life and Whoa. if it dies they get six life back okay and somehow that just like always fascinated me like what a cool like it drains that life force but if you manage to kill it then you get your life force back but it was very hard to kill because it regenerated for a black mana and oh. <laughs> it was black so like the removal that killed creatures without allowing it to regenerate often wore black removal spells that like couldn't target black creatures mm, Doomblade. yeah um and well yeah so like terror and yeah so it just like felt I, I don't know it just like was such an evocative design to me i thought that was like a really cool card that like i something like there was something like really elegant and cool about it but also something like weirdly mysterious like i didn't quite get it somehow like how i, I can't quite explain just like the like mystery mysterious flavor behind it that really like caught me <laughs> so i always thought that, that card was really cool um yeah. and and some of you may not know that it exists i certainly sure, didn't i'm sure many people are aware of it but um yeah me, that's awesome let me make sure that i you know didn't get the card wrong though <laughs> i well i gotta see i just gotta see this card yeah i'll prove to you that it exists oh yeah look at this it's it's coming. It's got some fantastic art. It does have. Oh yeah, the art is a big part of like why it's so cool because it's all like tentacly. Laquatus is champion. Wow, it costs a lot of mana. <laughs> oh, it's six. I thought it was three black, black, black. It's okay. it's better. It's four and two black. Okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. Chainer's dark gift to a darker soul. Yes. <laughs> the the, uh, the torment set was very edge lordy. <laughs> I guess more people do know about this card because. It was in M25, so that may okay. reintroduce some people to it. But, yeah, uh, yeah, just a just a neat, weird card that that really caught my imagination. I like it. Yeah, I don't know anything else for today. Anything else that we need to touch on? Well, let's see. We talked about standard. We talked about pioneer, and we talked about modern. Yeah, and I know you've been playing a little legacy, but maybe we can leave that for another day. Yeah, I have been playing a little legacy, but I'm still really lost. So yeah, it <laughs> it, it seems a little unparsable right now. So things mm-hmm. I know about it are Doomsday has Thassa's Oracle now as a thing that has made it popular. Wasteland is worse because people are still playing a lot of Astrolabes. Um, Oko is the heart and soul of all the the blue mid-range decks mm-hmm. and Uro is good and Uro is good apparently yeah who would have thought well yeah. legacy decks do fill up their graveyards so <laughs> yeah one of the things that i've noticed in legacy is that there are this kind of concept that we were talking a little about in modern is that there are some cards that really just invalidate archetypes mm. in ways that we haven't really seen before um, I think like Deafening Silence is an example of that where you just don't want to play any combo deck anymore. Yeah, the reason that these like mid-range decks have been doing so well is that they now have cards that just 
completely take out what used to be their natural predator. Mm -hmm. So it used to be that like, oh, the slower you make your mid-range blue deck, the worse you're going to be against these combo decks. So there's that kind of check where you just like couldn't go full dirtle. Mm -hmm. But now you can just go full dirtle and brainstorm and ponder into this card that just you just can't lose with it on the battlefield. So (laughs) God, uh, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Also, there's the Oko arms race. Oko's mm-hmm. power level was so clearly superseding all the other formats, but I think it also just wins on a board in Legacy as well. Mm-hmm. So there's this like Oko arms race where any deck that is playing blue and green yeah. is playing Oko's. I mean, certainly once it's in play in Legacy, it is unbeatable. Mm-hmm. barring like an immediate oh god i drew my pyroblast yeah. thank god and it's three mana it's right. not like i think four mana is the threshold where it's like oh this four mana spell like okay yeah if you resolve that in legacy i get it you should win right right but, jace is fine yeah jace is fine not a problem but three mana just like all of a sudden means that you can resolve it so much more frequently because the threshold of like having a power blast up and three mana is a much much more easy yeah. than having you know four mana and a power blast up sure so. yep and yep. like you know if you're playing a deck that is vulnerable to wasteland wasteland can keep you off of ever getting to four mana but you can you can find your way back to three a lot more easily than that true yeah yeah definitely a big part of that as well yeah, Lexi's is weird and different, and it, it's been a lot of fun kind of rejoining it for a little bit, but... Yeah, gotta um, focus on other things. Yeah. Yeah. Like Popper! Like Popper, apparently. Everybody everybody went into Zan's room today to watch him play the first Popper League in prep for a Popper tournament today. It's He's... Yeah, I mean, I think that we're about to sign off, so people <laughs> in the chat here should probably go and watch Zan... Yep, he's streaming right now. Yeah, well, we can we can host him, I guess. Oh yeah, we should do that. Yeah, so we'll 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 send our our handful of viewers over there. Yeah, um, cool. Uh, thanks everybody so much for listening. If you're listening in the chat, we really appreciate you hanging out here. If you're listening at home, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, if you want to catch us live, we are live every Tuesday evening at seven thirty on Twitch.tv/teamlotusbox. We are also live on the weekends. We are holding tournaments. I don't know how long we're going to do them every weekend for, but maybe for a while. As long as we can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So come check it out. Uh, Come play in the Lotus Box Modern Championship this Mm -hmm. weekend on Sunday. Um, And if you can't make it, at least watch us do commentary again. That would be cool. It's been a blast. It's been very fun. I think it's fun. So it's good. We're going to keep doing it. Yeah. If you want to lend us some support, you can head to our website, mpggrindcast.com, where we've got links to stuff including our Patreon, or go straight to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. We really, really appreciate a pledge. Uh, if, you know, if you can't do that, if you don't want to, just listening, sharing, uh, telling your friends about us, or just retweeting us on Twitter or whatever is also fantastic. So thank you so much for listening. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. The podcast is also on Twitter at, at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter at Collins Mullen. Um, thank you so much for listening and have a great week. Peace.